Today I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from verses 1 to 17. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in, in Him in all, speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for, for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Beyond that, I do know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Morning. Morning. How are we all? Great. Awesome. Um, good to see you. Hey, uh, once again, um, welcome. Uh, good morning, church family. Uh, it's always a joy and privilege to see you all, uh, particularly for those of you who have come and we haven't seen you for a little while. Uh, good morning to those of you who are watching online, and if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, my name is Shabu, you would have heard the name Shubs, uh, that takes about 12 months, that, then you're allowed to call me that. Uh, no, uh, that's just the nickname that Aussies do, we give everyone a nickname, so that's mine. Uh, welcome to you. This morning, uh, we want to jump into the very first few verses in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Last week, we explored, and you can go to our online on YouTube to hear that if you wish, the birth of this church as we looked at Acts. And today, we get to hear the very heart of the Apostle Paul as he addresses this church that he deeply loves. And he's, this is a church he knows really well, and we know in Acts that he spent at least a year and six months with this church community. The news has come back to him. Some issues have come up. Uh, and that he's going to address throughout this letter that you will see. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, or perhaps you're exploring the Christian faith, whether if you're watching online, what we're going to experience right now is probably twofold. On one hand, you have what's known as a letter or an epistle, written to the people in a particular place, a particular time. On the other hand, this is the Bible. This is God's Word. It has authority. It has power to speak to you and me today. 
because the Holy Spirit makes this come alive. And he makes these words challenge us, convict us, and transform us. And that's my prayer for you this morning. So this morning I want us to consider two things. One, the grace that defines a church. And second, the gospel that unites a church. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I come to you right now, and as you know that every single person here sitting in, this, in, the, in their seats, you know everyone who's watching online and you see them, would you use these words in front of us to change our hearts? For those of us who are exploring, cause us to ask further questions. Lead us to you. For those of us who need to confess and turn and repent, help us to do that. And for those of us who are stirring to apply this truth, would you enable us through your spirit? And Lord Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable for your glory alone, your glory alone, your glory alone. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, the Apostle Paul in verses 1 to 9 that you just heard read to you is setting the scene. And, um, issues have come up, not just sort of just basic issues, these are significant, significant issues. And what he wants to do right now is not just showing them, but he wants to remind them firstly and foremost, who are they? What defines them as a church family, as a community? Uh, in a world back then in history, there were many definitions that were given to people based on their social status, which group they're part of. Uh, they, it might be based on their citizenship. It might be based on their job or a particular uh, group that they were connected to a particular, um, what they called a um, uh, sort of like a, best way to describe it is uh, a, um, a union of people. So if you were a, someone who worked as a trade person in tent making, that was the union you were part of. So that's kind of the identity that you had. And there's the socioeconomic background and so on. And what Paul does in the first nine verses is to remind them of the most beautiful and wonderful truth of who they are. And this truth is not just information, it's the very truth that should shape them as a church community. You see that in verse 9. So have a look with me. Paul is saying, just as he's been called by God, they too are called by God to be a church of God. This church is not just the building, it's not the building, it's actually the very people of God. And then he uses the word sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That is, there are a church community who are saints, and we're not talking about the football club. This means this is who they are. This is the identity that they have first. That they are a holy people. But not only are they a holy people, they're also becoming a holy people. And this is where you have that word sanctified. It's a call. That they are a holy people, set aside, set apart, as God's church. And they're also in this process. And God is making them holy. And notice the language here, friends. This is not to an individual. It's not... Uh, an individualistic calling, it speaks of unity in the saints together with all who call upon the name of Jesus. There's unity because of who they are first. As anyone who calls upon Jesus as Lord, as Master, means 
They're united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the very source is unity in a person, in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them of the gracious identity that they've had and what's been given to them. And you know what? This is a beautiful reminder for us too if we call ourselves a church. The question is, what defines a church? What unites a church is this beautiful reminder right in front of us. And this reminder then moves into this beautiful prayer by Paul. He leads to a prayer of thanksgiving. But a prayer filled with what he will tackle in this letter. Firstly, you see them in the verses in front of you. He speaks of how they were enriched with every spiritual blessing. And he specifically uses the language of speech and knowledge. Uh, This comes up later on. These are the very gifts that they are actually abusing and misusing. Paul is reminding this church, hey, you don't actually lack any spiritual gift. Even though they think they lack spiritual gifts. Then he reminds them, secondly, revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that living in this now, what we would call now and not yet world. The, the, The reality that they're living in this world, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so they're living in that beautiful truth now. But then there's also the other truth that Jesus will return. And this letter is now tackling and calling them to live as a specific specific people group. Called, holy, set aside as they wait for Jesus' return. And thirdly, Corinthians are called in the fellowship of Jesus with Christ. Uh, Now, when when Paul uses the word fellowship, there's far more deeper meaning to that. This is a painting, a beautiful picture of joint partnership. So when we talk about fellowship here, it's not the morning tea that we might have eventually at some point after the church service and you hang out and talk to each other. That's not what we're talking about. It's a unity. It's a unity, though, that has been threatened at this church. You and I, as Russell was sharing earlier in Communion Focus, that we live in a world that constantly tells you and I, you have a particular identity you must pursue and be part of, right? Here are some of the hot topics. You're defined by your sexual identity and the various letters that are connected with that. In our day and time, you're defined by what kind of vaccination status you have or you don't have. You're defined by the very career or the job title that you have. Uh, You're defined by your marital status. Are you single or married? You're defined by perhaps a political party that follow, or you're defined by which footy team you follow. Now, there are definitions even in our very culture. Now, I get this. If you don't know who Jesus is you will find something to define you and put your hope in. I get that. But what about for those of us who do not know, who do know Jesus? More importantly, we know that we not only have this new identity, but we're known to the Savior of the world. See, friends, when I say what we need to consider in front of us is not just individually, but as a church family, as a community. The question is, what defines us? Is it God? The one who has set us apart in Jesus Christ's Son. The one who has not only called us, but has now invited us and made us one. Anyone who calls upon His name. That we've been set apart to be His holy people. 
not only being set apart to be his holy people, God is making us holy. And it has nothing to do with what you or I have done. It's all of God's beautiful, glorious grace in Jesus. This is the very grace that is displayed in the gift of salvation. But this is the truth for those of us who are in Christ. We are blessed. And He has indeed given us not only salvation, but gifts, and we're not lacking. And the very grace, not only the grace that's given to us, gives us, but the truth is, it is the very grace that will sustain you and I in whatever season God has in front of us. Because who's this on? Whose shoulders is it on? It is on God, who is faithful. The one who has called us. The one who has called us, not to join some sort of club, has joined us and called us to be into his beautiful joint partnership in fellowship with Jesus Christ. This is what defines a church that is centered on Jesus. Centered on his grace. The very undeserved favor, his grace shown on us. This is what defines a follower of Jesus. Question, who are you? When someone asks you, who are you? You know that question you ask when you go to a social gathering and someone asks you, so what do you do? Another way to put it is, what defines you during the week? The reality of who we are will determine how we live. If we know this truth, it will determine how we live. And if it is still true, which it is true because it's in the Word, it should define what a church is displayed in this world like. Author and pastor Jeff Vanderstock put it this way, Paul knew that all of our behaviours result from what we believe about who God is, as revealed through what God does, leading to what we believe about who we are. God's work in Jesus Christ grants us a whole new identity. And this new identity leads to a whole new way of living. We do what we do because of who we are. And His gracious work through His Son, Jesus Christ, is this beautiful truth that gives us this wonderful identity. That we are His church, and this is who we are. This is the grace that defines a church. And the question is, does it define us if you call Canterbury home? Or are we tempted to also find something or someone else to define us? It might be various things. It's the theology alone. It might be the various things that culture is trying to call into us. What defines us? It needs to be the gospel and grace of Christ. You know how you can test that out? It's in how we interact with one another. And this is what we have in front of us. Paul addresses this because there's a counter-reality. So Paul's just explained who they are, what they've received, and the wonderful blessing in Christ and the gospel of grace and reminding them. And then he addresses something that's counter-cultural to that reality. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to, 7, 10 to 17. Have a look with me. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Chloe has brought back a report, and there's division in this church. See, if the grace of Christ defines us, it should lead us as a church to live out this truth that we are united in Him. 
And what unites us is Christ and his gospel of grace. And that is the thing that will always be a threat in any church that desires to declare Christ as Lord. In the Corinthian church, there's this division. Uh, what's this division about? Um, the language that you might have in your English translation talks about division. That's helpful. Uh, what's going on is it's rivalries and disputes. But there's a word in there that's called a schism, right? Schism is happening in this church. What that means is there are factions, groups starting to form that are causing division. But in this context, yeah, they're aligning to the various preachers and even sounds religious at one point. And this is really dangerous, and Paul knows it's dangerous because it's anti to the call, the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On one hand, there seems to be Team Paul, who love Paul. Now, I love the way Paul addresses this, please don't show any allegiance to me, because he didn't die for anyone. He can't save anyone from their sin. No one is baptized in the name of Paul, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's challenging them on this. Then you have Team Apollos. You can read that in Acts 18. Man, Apollos, he sounds like an amazing orator of the gospel, a defender of the gospel. He's known for his preaching and his skills. There are those who say we're Team Apollos. Then we have Team Cephas, and in here it's talking about the Apostle Peter. And we don't have any evidence of visiting Corinth, but there's in 1 Corinthians 9 it suggests that the church knew of who he is, because he's the Apostle Peter. And if they've been exposed to the gospel, that they heard of what Jesus and Jesus' ministry and Peter, they know that this is a key apostle. And then you have, which is my favorite group, they almost sound really super spiritual, Team Christ. Right? Sounds really spiritual. Now, we don't exactly know exactly what this means, but one of the options perhaps means they're choosing, out of all the leaders, this is the leader that they will follow. It sounds really spiritual, right? But what they're saying is we reject all human leaders, including the leaders that God has placed to be leading this church. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Now, I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I'm not accountable to anyone but God. It's wonderful. It's a great truth to that. But if they're part of a church, community, and fellowship, there's leadership that God has placed. The question is asked by Paul, it's a beautiful question, is Christ divided? And the question is simply, of course not, he's not divided. See, it's a moment for the Corinthian church to reflect and consider what is far more important to them. And it seems, in the context here, the very culture that they live in is starting to influence them. That is, to follow the favorite speakers of the time. And doing so, they're actually not living out their identity as a united people in Christ, growing in holiness, rather than living according to what the culture says around them. And so they pick a team. Their hope and rest ultimately becomes about their favorite preacher. Paul is very clear now. He's making it a statement. He's saying his mission is clear. His identity as one called by Christ means Christ has sent him to do what? Not to baptize. Now, that sounds interesting because he actually baptized people and you go, what's he talking about? In the context here, he's saying, listen, I'm not baptizing them to follow me. I'm baptizing them to follow Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. 
what he has come for is to preach the gospel. And I love these words because if I ever have the joy and privilege to meet the Apostle Paul and I'll say to him, Are you sure you meant to write this? Do you hear what he says? I didn't preach the gospel in words not with eloquence or wisdom. Culturally, that was a big deal then. That's why they went after all these different speakers. Paul is saying, ultimately, it's not about me. I have no ability of my own. What he wants to display is something far more powerful and far more beautiful and far more glorious. That he wants to display the true power is in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a cross-centered life. This is the call and order to unite the church, not to divide the church. And a church needs to unite around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Whether Whatever background you come from, upbringing, spiritual journeys, we are all need to be focused on being united in Christ. And it is the very gospel of Jesus that unites the church. Do you know, division is one of the greatest threats in any Christian community that wants to declare Christ as Lord. A desire to keep Jesus centre. And you know, this didn't show up all of a sudden in 1 Corinthians. This is as old as the garden. If you read in Genesis, Satan's attack on Adam and Eve was to bring division between them and God. And throughout the Bible, this is the biblical pattern. There's schisms and factions that want to fight against how God has designed it. And this is why Jesus prayed this beautiful prayer in John 17, known as the High Priestly Prayer. It shows Jesus' heart. He prays for unity, not for just for the sake of unity. What he's doing is as he prays, he says, when you're united, it reveals something far greater. Reveals who God is. Because it's not about you or me. And this is why he says in John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. See, when a church family and community is defined by God's gracious calling and His ongoing work of making this church, His church, holy, set apart, it displays the truth and beauty of the gospel to a world that is always defined by many things, anything but Jesus. So when a church is united in the grace of Christ, it bears witness of who God is and what He has done through His Son to a world that needs to see what unity around the Lordship of Jesus looks like so that people will see Christ. Because it is always about Him. It is about His gospel. It bears witness of God and His work. And this is the moment for us, and particularly if you call Canterbury home, what defines us Canterbury Gardens? What defines you as a follower of Jesus, perhaps? What about if I suggest it this way? What if who you are and what you do was taken away from you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you see why this is so important to come back to the basics of the gospel over and over again? It is the beautiful truth, the grace of Christ, what defines you and me. The grace of Christ is what defines a church. This grace sets us apart and this grace is at work. It is the very anchor that we cling on to. That's all we have. You know, in our world, there's constant things that are telling you to be defined by many things. Many things call out to you to be that very definition. 
Now, if you don't know Jesus, I totally get it, that you will find something else to define you. I totally get that. You will never be truly defined until you find your hope and security in what Christ offers. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, are we too tempted by what the culture tells us, what defines you? This past week, I was uh, in the driveway at our home, and I met the mum of one of our neighbours, and she was just sharing with me about she, you know, she comes from a religious background. She said, you're a priest, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. But this is, <laughs> this is kind of what I do. Yes, I work at this church. And, and she said to me, you know, about all the stuff that's going on, about vaccinations and political things and all those kind of things, what's your opinion on it? I said, well, are you recording right now? Or, you know, we had a bit of a joke. But then she shared with me. Now, she has no religious, she says she has a religious background, but I don't think she's following Jesus yet. And she was sharing with me, I feel so isolated. I feel like no one loves me. I feel so segregated from people. And then you know what I found? I found this group on Facebook. And they know exactly how I feel. They agree with all I say. And what she's talking about is they found a truth and they're uniting around it. And now that's become a definition for her. It defines her. I asked her this question before we sort of shared to head off. I said, are you at peace though in your heart? She said, no, I'm not. Because until she finds peace in Christ, she will always find something or someone else to define her. Now, in Australian culture, I don't think this happens, and maybe in certain church traditions it does. I doubt this is happening in our church family. I follow John Ramsden. I follow Shabu John, I follow Cameron Purse, I follow Josh Daniels, thank you. <laughs> now, if that is happening, please repent of it, we will pray with you, we do not want to hear that. But here's the other thing to maybe consider. Are we tempted only to listen to those who perfectly theologically align with us? And I'm talking about secondary issues, I'm not talking about gospel things, right? The gospel is clear. You have to agree on this. Talking about secondary things. Are you a bit tempted just like, ah, oh, just kind of cling on to the script? Are we only tempted to spend time with those people who agree with us? Are we tempted to have various factions, perhaps? You may never say it out loud. One way to work out in those moments when we have those conversations, are they Christ-centered? Are they God-glorifying? We should share our opinions and our views. That's important. But does it lead to factions and groups? Or, or do we sometimes constantly looking for the opinion of other people to see if they align with your view, whether it's in this church leadership or other church leadership, or even theology? And I, I know this is, I don't know what God's doing here, but over the years, what God does is He brings people along who have either been hurt or burnt out or weary or frustrated from their various church experiences. If this is you, welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. I have news for you. We may do the same to you. It may happen here. But what we would invite you to do is focus on the grace of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we desire to be united around always. We want to welcome you to be part of Canterbury, be involved in Canterbury. 
because perhaps the Lord has brought you here to be reminded of the beauty and wonder of the gospel again, the news that saved you, the news that sets you apart, the news that is making you holy, the news that is shaping you to live counterculturally in this world. And in any church, there's always the temptations of factions to raise. You know, the most famous things are always the factions of the future and the factions of the past. We used to do things like this way. No, no, we, we need to do it this way. Whatever it might be, it might come. But friends, as we talk about these seasons, we need to not get frustrated, particularly if they're brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to appeal to one another that there be no division among us to come back to be in the same mind in the gospel and the same judgment. I just want you to say it out here, and it's probably going to get on video, so I might get in trouble. In God's kingdom, there is no vaccinated and non-vaccinated. If you've had made a choice, and you should, you should make a choice in your conscience, you've decided. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we talk about it in unity and in humility so that people see Christ in us, not on our vaccination status. I'm not saying to you what to do about that. What I'm saying is talk about it in humility and grace, in wisdom, in love. So what people see is Jesus in you and they go, how can you guys get along with each other even though you don't have a different view on this? And the only answer is, Jesus! Sunday school answer, there it is! <laughs> Friends, uh, Satan loves division, and I pray against that in our church family, and I pray that we will continue to grow in humility and grace in these conversations, and we should. We should talk about it. I mean, if you land on it differently, that's fine. Talk about it in grace and humility and looking to raise love and serve one another. And if you're one who is here at Canterbury Gardens because either intentionally or unintentionally, you love stirring up things in a church, I'm lovingly telling you to stop. Turn to Jesus and repent. Come and be part of our church family. We want to walk alongside you. What defines a church is the very powerful and glorious truth of Jesus Christ. We are his church, set apart for his purposes. And he's continuing in his work. To make us a holy people, countercultural to this world. And the various topics that will come up in Corinthians will show that, what it means to be countercultural. And this is all we have to cling on to. It is the very grace of Christ. The truth that unites us with all our various backgrounds, all our spiritual journeys, perhaps even our very theological leanings on things. We come back to this truth, the gospel of Jesus, that should unite us. This is the truth what divines, uh, defines us. And with that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, as I look here, uh, I know some of these people, some of them I don't know, but I see my brothers and sisters in Christ, defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, if we interacted in any way with one another that has not been glorifying, we pause now to confess and repent. And Lord Jesus, we come to you and pray.
that the message of the gospel will never be something that we retire hearing over and over again till our final breath or the day when you return. And Lord Jesus, help us to be a united church in a divided world for Christ's glory alone. In Jesus' name.